Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And I know you probably can't believe this, that I could preach uh, for 40 minutes four times on one verse, but I can and I will. Um, And this morning may be a little longer than the other three because of the title of the sermon should be in your bulletin. Actually, it should say this, devoted to God, earnest worship, and declared dependence. So since God be the focus, it's a bigger topic. And so it may take us a little longer. But So if you would turn there to Acts 2, verse 42, we'll look at this verse and then we'll focus our attention in on the church's devotion to God as it pertains to earnest worship and declared dependence. We're going to read the passage. We'll pray for God to reveal reveal to His church what the Spirit would speak to us once again. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Father, we ask for your grace to give us ears to hear what your Spirit would speak to us this morning through your word. God, give us grace to be more than hearers, but doers of your word this morning. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I forwarded this quote to you guys, some of you this week, by Charles Spurgeon. When he was asked, what is more important, praying or reading the Bible? I ask, what is more important, breathing in or breathing out? And as we think about that, breathing in or breathing out, which is more important, reading the Bible? Well, when we read the Scriptures, right, we are breathing in the truth of God. When we pray... As a response to God's Word, we are exhaling a declaration of the truth that we received by faith in an act of dependent worship upon God. So which is more important, Bible study and the response in prayer? Well, they're two sides of the same coin, aren't they? As we read the Scriptures and we hear who God is and we come to understand who He is, to exhale out is just to pray to Him. Because He is God, and we've understood that we are not. So, how many of you, by a show of hands, have read a book or several books on prayer? How many of you, after having read those books and implemented the strategies that the books uh, asked you to, soon abandoned those strategies thinking that you were a failure when you got done? Right? Uh, There are many books on prayer that, that, that teach us some good ways to pray and how to focus in. But prayer is something that often we get distracted from, we get moved away from. Uh, it is a habit that needs to be developed uh, personally. But here's the thing, you know, when most of us, almost every one of us, when the topic of prayer comes up at all, most of us have a conviction that our prayer life is not what it should be or what it could be. We're convinced of the power of prayer, I know many of you, I've heard from you, you are convinced of the power of prayer. You are convinced of its efficacy, that it works, that it accomplishes great things. And yet most of us, if we were honest, understand that our prayer life really could use some improvement. One of the reasons sometimes that we avoid prayer, especially when I think about the pastoral ministry, right? There's two simple um, instructions that the pastor elders are supposed to be engaged in, and that is the ministry of the word and prayer. That's really the prescription and description of the elder's life and, and their 
their job, right? Their duties. Devoting themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. And I know for me sometimes, as I think about carving out time to sit in silence, to cast my cares and concerns to God, it feels as though we might be neglecting things that are that need to get done, right? We think that, why should I selfishly take this time to do this? Because there are things that need to get done. Well, those things do need to get done, but prayer should be first place and have the first priority. Because sometimes our, our actions, right, the things we do, we think they produce tangible results immediately. Our prayer sometimes is not as tangible. It's not as immediate. And sometimes, sometimes we think that that's not as worthy of a task. Would you describe your prayer life as instantaneous? That it is the first thing that we go to. Constantly attending with all of our energy and strength that God supplies. Would you describe your attendance to prayer as single-minded focus, as the single-minded focus in your life? And would you describe prayer as worship? Those are the things that we're going to uncover this morning. The prayer is worship. It is really a response. As we think about the reading of God's Word, our response is prayer. As we think and contemplate the songs that are sung up here, by the way, I think Katie read my notes, but um, by the songs that she chose. But the songs that we sing, right? Even in the songs we sing while we're sitting there singing them out loud, doesn't it not cause your heart to pray those truths, right? And we are speaking those truths that we are singing to God as a prayer to Him. And so let us look at and define prayer together. And you know that prayer has probably been defined in many ways. And some of the ways I've heard prayer uh, described are not necessarily very helpful. Um, the definition and to define prayer is difficult. So what I'm going to do this morning is give several ways to think about how we might define prayer. But as, especially as we define it in the context of the gathering of the church. Because often when we think of prayer, we think of it as individual, right? We think about our devotional time where we read the word and we respond in prayer or when we're uh, praying. But this text concerns the fellowship of the believers and what prayer means in the fellowship of the believers. What does corporate prayer look like? How do we partner in the gospel of grace together in prayer as we are a gathered community? So I'm going to define it in some different ways because uh, it will help us think about corporate prayer. The Greek word for prayer in our text this morning is proskurkomia, which is very hard to say. And it doesn't look like it's spelled, I'll tell you that. Um, but the definition that, that the Greek word would describe for prayer is this. It's defined as to earnestly draw near and approach attentively to God as an act of worship. So collectively, it's about prayer together in the community is about worship. Prayer is an instantaneous and constant attending to the declaration of dependence to God. It is a constant and instant attending to the fact that we are dependent upon God, that we are earnestly worshipful in submission to the God we pray to. 
Prayer is God's prescription for living in a fallen world. Prayer is not the cure. Prayer is the prescription. Not, it, it, prayer is not the cure any more than uh, ibuprofen. A prescription for ibuprofen is not the cure for a headache. It's actually ibuprofen cures the headache. But the prescription does us no good. right? I, I mean, it, it points us to where we need to go. It does us good. But it's not the cure, right? Prayer isn't the cure. It is the object of our prayer that is the cure. God is the cure. That is the reason that we come to Him in prayer. Our prescription for how to navigate and live in a falling world is prayer. The solution, the cure, the medicine is God Himself. It's not the prescription that cures, but it's the medicine. So if prayer is the prescription, then what is the medicine? The cure, the medicine is awe and intimacy with God. Isn't that the end result of prayer? Awe and intimacy with God. That is the end of what we get from prayer. We get the medicine. We, and that's the reason why we gather here this morning, guys. That is the whole reason that we show up here. We gather together to, as a, as a, a church body who cares for one another. But our intention is that we go together into the presence of God and that we receive from Him. We are here not to meet with each other, but to meet with Him together, right? We can get it all messed up and think about fellowship as, is about what we do and when we connect with each other. But real fellowship brings us into a connection with the object of our worship. And we come unified in that desire is to meet the object of our worship together every Lord's Day. We are here to meet with God as primary. Fellowship with one another is part of that, but it's not the thing. And I think sometimes in the church today, they've made the fellowship thing the part of the thing. That that's the thing. That that's the reason, right? You go to church because your friends are there. No, I don't go to church because my friends are there. My friends are there because we've gone there together to seek Fellowship with God Himself, to get from Him, to see Him, to connect with God Himself. Prayer connects the prayer with the object of our worship, God Himself. If the church is going to take back ground, if Spring Hill Church is going to be faithful and a united witness to the truth of the Scriptures concerning the Christ of the Gospel, then she must pray every time she gathers. She must pray. Every single time she gathers, she declares the church her dependence upon God as the cure for living in a fallen world. It's what we declare when we pray to God. God, you are the cure for how we live life in this fallen world when we collectively pray together. This, my friends, prayer as we seek Him together is a reasonable act of worship, isn't it? Prayer is a declaration of hope. When we pray, we declare that there is hope. There is hope found in the Scriptures concerning the atoning death of Christ and that this is the praise uh, of the glory of God and this is His mercy and grace displayed to sinners like you and me and we come in to the presence of God in prayer. He is what we receive when we pray. What we communicate together and how we do this in community and what it means to have true koinonia is that as we come together and agree in prayer, we are saying, 
that we have a shared hope in Jesus Christ. That we come from entirely different backgrounds and different opinions on things. But you know what we have? Is that we are a community that is united in hope. We are united in the hope that we have found in Jesus Christ in a fallen world. And our agreement and prayer declares that our hope is in the God who saves. That is our witness when we gather together as a church and pray. The church gathers to connect to God, to offer Him praises for His nature and His character. God being the focal point of worship naturally will humble the worshiper. If God is the focus of our prayers and God is the focus of our worship, we should naturally be humbled because God is God and you and me, we are not. So when we come to pray Him, it should humble us. The worship will understand that access to God is granted to us because of mercy and by grace. The Christian must then admit that they are fully dependent upon God. When you come before God in prayer and in worship, you must admit in humility that God has granted us mercy. And so the Christian must admit that they are fully dependent upon God, not only for salvation, but for our sanctification, that is our growth in grace, our growth in holiness. And so the natural posture of a humbled soul is to do what? To pray. That is the natural posture of the humbled soul before God, is to pray as an earnest act of submitted worship to Him. The worship of God is the people of God responding to God. The worship of God is the Christians, the local church's response to the presence of God as we come together in Quinonia Fellowship. The worship of God in song and prayer is a church's response to the truth of the gospel revealed to us in the scriptures. It is our declared dependence and it is our expectant hope. We sing of those, of that expectant hope. We sing really the word of God, don't we? We sing God's words often. Often our songs are really an adaptation of a scripture. And we sing those words to God. We sing the Bible. We pray the Bible, we read the Bible, and by God's grace, we ask Him to help us to live the Bible because God is at the center of our worship. The worship response and prayer is another way in which the church testifies to each other and to the world that we are a faithful witness of Jesus Christ and we believe the truth. We talked about that the, the first part of this uh, verse says that they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine, devoted to the truth. And then they, wit they were a witness to that truth by how they lived with one another in love, right? They were a witness to the truth. And prayer is another way in which we bear witness that we believe the truth, that we understand the truth, that God is the center of our worship, that God hears the prayers of His people. It is a response to the truth. We then become a more faithful witness through prayer of Jesus Christ. But let us ask this. What does God say about the premacy of prayer in the house of God? Let us turn to Matthew 21. And we will look at verses 
uh, 12 and 13. This is a very familiar passage to us. Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 and 13. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. We should notice that the temple, the house of worship, Jesus regarded this as his own. He calls it my house. My house will be a house of prayer. Jesus regards the temple, the house of worship, as his own. This house belongs to me. I am the object for which this house, this temple, was built. What takes place in this house is what I declare it should be. You have made this house yours by robbing and merchandising. This is my house. I say what belongs. That's the priority and premise of prayer. I say what belongs in the house, and what belongs in my house is prayer. What belongs in my house is earnest worship. What belongs in my house is dependent, humbled Christians seeking me. That's what belongs in this house, and nothing else. Get rid of the other stuff. Get rid of the show, get rid of the stick, get rid of the lights, get rid of the smoke, get rid of the mirrors, get rid of all that stuff, because prayer is what I want in my house. Prayer is what belongs in my house. Worship of my Father is what belongs in my house, and it's my house, so I get to say. I hope that that happens in your house, right? What happens in your house, you get to say. You know, your neighbors don't come and dictate to you how you live in your house. You say so. This is my house. This is how I live in my house, right? And the same way with the Lord. It is the Lord's house. So He gets to say what belongs and what doesn't. In response to God's presence, the people of God gathered in the house of God, hearing from the Word of God, have one reasonable response, right? And that is to earnestly draw near, approach attentively to God in dependent, hopeful prayer as an act of worship. If God's prescription for living in a fallen world is prayer, then why do we neglect it? We've asked that question this morning in our own prayer time. Is that if God's prescription for living in a fallen world is prayer, then why do we neglect it? When prayer is neglected, have you noticed in your life that hard times get harder? When we neglect, neglect prayer in hard times, the hard times seem to get harder. When we uh, neglect prayer, hope fades. When we neglect prayer, Faith wanes. When we neglect prayer, evil prevails. Well, listen to what 2 Chronicles 7, 14 says. Or you can turn there, because I need to turn there. So we can turn there together. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. It's probably a fairly uh, familiar passage to most of us. It says this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. You see, if God's people, the Spirit-born, blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ, would not neglect prayer when they come together 
but in, would instead recognize their humble position before God, declare their dependence upon God, would declare in faith their hope in God, would seek God as the only object of their worship, would examine their own sinful hearts and repent in a dependent, worshipful prayer. The church, if the church would seek me, the Lord says, if the church would seek me, I would hear. If the church would seek me, I would forgive. If the church would seek me, I would heal, declares the Lord. Prayer is the prescription for the church in a fallen world we live in. And the one to whom we pray, God, is the medicine. So you might ask this, what does corporate prayer look like? How should Spring Hill Church partner with and participate and uh, distribute the grace of God when we gather in prayerful, dependent worship of God? If we know that corporate prayer is designed and it is designed to foster participation as we meet with God together, then we might ought to right now take a little time and examine what it looks like and what it ought to look like. Well, what does corporate prayer look like? I would say that the simple answer to what corporate prayer looks like is ordered. Corporate prayer is ordered. I think we would do well, even in our private devotional time, to have ordered prayer. Ordered by what? Well, we'll take a look at a few things. Philippians 4. It is Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Notice what the order of prayer here is. Notice that the people recognize the character of God which leads to praise. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's not dependent upon circumstances. It's dependent upon God and who He is, right? The people of God recognize the character of God and their response is to pray, rejoice, sing His goodness. Notice the acknowledgement of the petitioner's awareness of God's presence in this, these few verses. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. When we sing praises to God and when we pray to God as a, as a church body, we are aware that the Lord is at hand. We look at our circumstances in the world and see all the stuff that's going on and it is chaotic and sinful and immoral and horrible what's going on in our world and in our nation. We, we can look at that and clearly see it. But the truth is, is, if we focus in our worship and our prayer, we'll know this, that the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at work. God has not abdicated His throne whatsoever. God is at work. And that's what these folks see, that the Lord is at hand. All praise and awareness of God leads us to do what? Pray. The awareness of God's presence leads the people of God to pray. How? And with what attitude? With thankful hearts toward God as they make their request. See, prayer corporately and privately, according to the Scriptures, is ordered. There's praise and prayer that is acceptable to the Lord, and there's that which is not. With any prescription that you might ever have. You've gone to the doctor, you get a prescription, it always comes with a warning on the label. 
Use only as directed. And this use only as directed is as it's been prescribed to you, use it that way, right? And the same way is true in prayer. In prayer that God hears, in prayer that God will answer. God gets to say what prayer looks like, what it is like. Corporate prayer as prescribed by God is ordered by what? I think first and foremost, the Word of God. As we pray, we pray the Word of God. We pray in response to what the Word of God says, consistent with what it says, right? That is the prescription. Prayer begins by God speaking to us first. Prayer should always begin, I believe, in this wholeheartedly, and I haven't found this written anywhere, but it's just, it's my conviction. The prayer should always begin with silence. Because when you and I come before the holy throne of God, we ought to be humbled to such a place that we can just shut your mouth. You have nothing to say unless you've listened to Him. Right? Unless you've listened to God first. When we approach prayer, we come silent before the throne of God. We read the truth of the Word of God, and then we respond. We are but responders as worshipers of God. And, and that is, is totally true when you think about salvation, isn't it? You did not secure your own salvation by walking down an aisle and saying, I do and I confess this prayer. You did not do that. You didn't do it. I didn't do it. The God of the universe, in His love, for some reason loved you. I, I don't know why. But for some reason He loved you and for some reason He loved me. And He sent His Holy Spirit to convict you and I of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And He granted us repentance and faith in a work that He already did in Jesus Christ. We are but responders. That should humble us to shut up and listen. It should humble us enough to say that what God says in His Word is how I should respond. That I should respond in the way that He has prescribed me to respond. Prayer begins by God speaking first through His Word. An independent hope, the Spirit-filled believer in Christ responds earnestly, drawing near to God in attentive prayer. The directions for the elements in ordered prayer are given to us in the Scriptures. I'm sure that many of you uh, who've been in church for a while have heard the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, right? As it pertains to prayer, which stands for Adoration, Confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. First, let's look at prayers of adoration. Corporate prayer, as we come together before God, and our first prayers, the first things that come out of our mouth as we sit in silence and we sit and listen to the Word of God, the first move of us is adoration for the God who saved us. We adore Him. We sing His praises. We talk about His goodness, right? It's the first response is that we are aware of just who it is that we are talking to. That's how you initiate prayer. That's how you initiate what comes out of your mouth is an awareness of just who it is that you are before. You are before the king of the universe. You are before the one who speaks something and it actually happens as soon as he speaks it. 
That's who you're going before. And you're going before a God who is holy, perfect, right, true. There is nothing uh, evil or wrong in Him. Everything is perfect, and you are not. That's who you're coming to. So before you speak a thing of request, it ought to be, ah, God, you are good. You are holy. You are righteous. Your rules are perfect. You are the right judge. Prayers of adoration naturally come first if we're silent before Him and responders to the Word of God. Our first prayers recognize this, that we acknowledge the nature and the character of the one that we pray to. So we begin with these prayers of adoration and we acknowledge this, the honor and the privilege that it is for sinners like you and me to come before the Holy God. We acknowledge that it is His grace that has given us the honor to even come before the throne. It is an honor to press in and pray to God. He has granted us an honor of great grace. We recognize that as we begin our prayers. We praise God for allowing us to come into His presence. And these prayers of adoration realize uh, in us that we realize that in our flesh, we have no right to come before the throne of God based on our own deeds. The awareness of God's righteousness and His holiness naturally leads the petitioner then to do what? To confess. As we come and we adore God for who He is and we understand His character and we are humbled by that, it leads the petitioner to come to prayer next in confession. Confession of prayers individually offered to God, say this to God, us too. I say, God, that I agree with what you say about my sin. I confess it. What you say, I say too. That's what confession really is. It is saying what it is that God says about our sin. We come and say, yes, me too. I agree with you. What you say, God, about my sin is true. Us too, Lord. In our corporate setting, when we hear one confess their sins, we can't help but think, us too. All of us. In our corporate setting, when we hear prayers of confession from a brother or sister, what do we say? Me too. Me too. I too struggle with that. Or I have too at some point. Or this, I am capable of that too. Because we understand this, there is no sin except for that which is common to all of us. Right? So when somebody confesses sin, it's not for us to judge. They are going before the judge. It is for us to say, yeah, me too. Me too, brother. Me too, sister. Our prayers of confession lead us to consider this, though, don't they? When we confess our sin, we see the holiness of God. Our prayers of confession lead us to consider the atonement of Jesus Christ. We say, Lord, we would be undone and unworthy to make our request known to you if it were not for Christ's mediatorial sacrifice for our sin. Christ intervened on our behalf. And then guess what we're led to do? We're led to ask this question. Why me? Why me? Why was grace given to me? And when we recognize this, we say, why do I have access to the throne of God? Why me and not my neighbor? 
And collectively we say, why us? Which leads us to the heart of prayer that God tells us in First Thessalonians. It tells us this, that the will of God for us in all circumstances is thanksgiving. When we consider the atoning death of Jesus Christ for our sin that allows us access to God in prayer, knowing our frame, knowing who He is, can't understand why me and not my neighbor, our response is prayers of thanksgiving. We give thanks to God. We thank God for His long-suffering toward us, His patience with us. We give Thanks to God that while we were yet sinners, while we were defiant rebels, that Christ died for us. While I was a rebel, Christ died for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. We thank God for His saving grace. We thank God for His enabling grace. We thank the Father for Jesus' sacrifice and obedience to the Father. We Give thanks to Jesus for His once and for all sacrifice that leads us into God's good grace. We, we give thanks for the Holy Spirit that gives us conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We give thanksgiving for the comfort, teaching, and power of the Holy Spirit toward us who believe. When we witness our brothers and sisters giving thanks to God despite their various hardships, their lives, our hearts are directed to an attitude of gratitude for God's grace in our own lives, despite our trials. One of the greatest things that I get to witness is, as, the, as a pastor is I see brothers and sisters giving thanks to God and I know their dark, deep circumstances. And yet they can still give thanksgiving to God. Man, what an encouraging thing for, to me is that in all circumstances, I can give thanks to God. Look at what they're going through. Look at what they're going through. So despite my little trivial trials, can I not give thanks to God as well? I can give thanks to God because of Jesus and what He has done for us. And then our hearts, once again, don't they go racing when we think of the goodness of God in the midst of our trials? They go to rejoicing and praise for all that God is for us in Christ Jesus. Having prayed all of the above, our hearts are set right to pray according to the will of God, aren't they? Having previously prayed all of those things, adoration, confession of sin, thanksgiving for Jesus Christ, then we're ready to make our requests known to God. Then our heart is prepared to pray according to the will of God. We recognize this, that we have great need. We have great need. We recognize that our need is greater than what we think our great wants are. We have a great need. We have a great need for hope. We have a great need for Jesus. We have a great need for forgiveness. Every one of you, me too, all of us who are in Christ, we still have great need for hope in this world. We still have a great need for forgiveness. And it's there that we pray according to the will of God. We pray according to our great need. We've come to discover our great spiritual need is God Himself. We pray because we want Him. We need Him. We have come to pray in the Spirit according to the will of God and not according to our flesh at that point. Not only is our prayer ordered, but prayers are also according to the Word of God and in step with the Spirit of God. Our prayers will go unanswered if they're contrary to God's laws and decrees, right? You know you can't pray that you would be successful as a bank robber, right? 
And you can't pray that. It's not going to do you any good, right? We have to pray according to the will of God and according to the laws of God. We can't pray. Our prayers will go unanswered if they're contrary to the law of God, if they're contrary to the Spirit of God. Uh, our prayers will go unanswered. They need to be prayed according to His decrees, according to His law, according to His will, and according to His nature, right? That's Our prayers have to be according to that. And it takes us some time, doesn't it? We can't just jump into prayer for things we need and want. I think when we do that, we miss the point. And we will pray amiss, as James says. You pray amiss. We've missed it. Because we think we need or want these things for something, probably human comfort, when what we need is God Himself. So we start with God, and we end with God. Our prayers start with Him, and they end with Him. And that is what Acts 2.42 is about. They were devoted to God. When it says that they were devoted to prayers, to the prayers, they were devoted to earnest worship of God Himself and dependence upon Him. The beginning and the end of their prayer was God Himself. God is who we're after. God is who we're after. We're not after comfort in this life. Not really. We pray for it. But where does our comfort come from? Him. He is our comfort. He is our strength. We want God Himself. So prayer starts with God Himself and it ends with God Himself. It is God that the petitioner, that the prayer wants. It is God that the church should want as we pray together. It is in this prayer we have moved then to declare our dependence upon God. And we say this, as we sang this morning, Lord, I need you. That's the conclusion you come to when it's time to pray. Lord, I need you. I need your help. My situation, our situation that we all talk about, and we talk about the things that are going on in the world with each other, we try to find answers. Our situation is a, a situation that is beyond you. It is beyond me. It is beyond us. We come to understand it is not beyond God, though. Our situation is not beyond Him. So then it is Him that we need to seek. It is Him that we are after in our prayers. Our situation is beyond us. We acknowledge that God has a perfect law, and we also acknowledge that we are in a helpless position. We acknowledge God's saving sacrifice for sin. We acknowledge that if we're going to continue in faith until the coming of the Lord, we say this, we need your help, God. If I am going to continue in faith even one more day, I need your help. I need your help. Are we humbled in that way? Do we often say that? If I'm going to make it one more hour in faith, if I'm going to be faithful for one more hour, God, I need your help. If I'm going to be faithful for one more day, God, I need your help. So often we say this, I know the Scriptures, I know what it says. I got this from here. Really, you don't have it from here. You're not going to make it one more day without the help of God keeping you in faith. And if you know that to be true, what will you do? I think this. I think you'll pray. I think if you understand that you, that you won't make it another day or another minute without His help, that you will not remain faithful for another day unless He helps you, you'll pray. 
that you know that the Lord's return is imminent right now, don't you? Can you look around at the world and think how much longer till the Lord comes that He could come at any minute? If He could come at any minute, what will you do now? Will He find faith when He comes? I better pray. Will He find faith when He comes? If He comes tomorrow, will He find me faithful? I better pray. I better pray now. I need God's help. I need God's help. I need it now. I need it today. And I know I'm going to need it tomorrow. I better pray now. We acknowledge that, that, that our situations uh, are beyond us. We need His help. Do you know this, that if we're going to be biblically faithful parents, if we're going to be biblically faithful grandparents, biblically faithful employees, biblically faithful church members, we should cry out, God, we need your help. Man, I'll tell you what, I, it, it has hit home. To be a good father, I can't do it. I've discovered it. I cannot do it. If the Lord were not helping me, I couldn't do it. I need God's help to be faithful. I need God's help to be a good dad. I need God's help to be a good husband. I need, a, I need God's help to be a biblically faithful pastor. I need God's help to be a biblically faithful church member. I need God's help. If that's true, and I believe it is, we got to pray a lot. A lot. We're dependent we declare dependency, too, on the Spirit's empowerment, Lord. We need enabling grace, Lord. Lord, we need your help. That is our cry. How does the Spring Hill Church member participate and partner in corporate prayer? Because you know as prayer uh, happens, as, as they're usually led by someone, and so it seems as though that person is praying, but we all participate in that as a body. So I have some things that might help us to participate in corporate prayer. Number one would be to remove all distractions that you might pay close attention to the Word of God instead. That you might pay attention to the Word as it's read, the Word as it's sung, and the response as it's prayed. I would say one of the keys to that would be to put away your cell phones for an hour and a half. So don't whisper to your neighbor when the Word of God is being read or prayed or sung. To remove distractions is the reason why at several points in the service we take a moment to just be silent. It's one of the other reasons. We're silent before God, but we're also taking a moment to ask the Lord to remove those things that are distracting us. Secondly, I think that we need to prepare our hearts earlier for our gathering. What I mean by that is that prepare your heart Saturday night for the Lord's Day gathering. Get rest the night before. That you can fully engage in the worship of God. That you can fully sense His presence. Prepare all that you need to leave your house Saturday night so that the Lord's Day chaos of getting everybody out the door <laughs> has already been readied the night before, right? That, that any distraction that might come that morning, any trouble, is, is a, little a little less likely. It's kind of minimized because you've prepared. I would say this. This is another one that may offend you, but I don't care. Um, show up to church a little early. What I mean by that is that your tardiness distracts not only you, but it distracts the church member that maybe was looking to catch up with you before worship started. 
because now they see you or they didn't see you and they knew you were coming and they're thinking about you. Why aren't they here yet? We've begun singing praises, but the person's mind is on, why isn't Joe here? Because Joe said he was coming. It's 10 after 10 or uh, 1040 and I don't see him. I'm thinking about that instead of thinking about the Lord. I'm, I'm not focused. So I would say show up to church a little early. And also, when you show up late, your entrance can cause a distraction if the service is already underway. Because when you show up, no matter how silently you try to come in, we see you, right? We notice. So try to show up a little early. Another way is to participate in times when the church gathers with the intention of praying. We have a time Sunday morning where we gather at 9. Uh, we have a time Wednesday evening where we gather at 7. But any times when, when you purpose to set aside to gather together um, in prayer, participate in those things. And I would say this, number five, pray according to the Scriptures in your own devotional private time so that you will develop that as a pattern in the community that you belong to. What you practice in your private time will spill over to what you practice in your corporate worship time, right? Consider, and I've asked some to do this lately, consider leading a section of prayer during a worship service. And then finally, I would say this, practice instantaneous prayer. This has long been my goal. I have prayed this for years. I'm still not good at it. That I would just be instant, that my response to anybody's situation that they bring to me would be to pray on the spot. Somebody comes and tells me that life is going well. Let's pray. Somebody comes and tells me that they've lost their job. Let's pray. Somebody comes and tells me that they're having trouble with their kids. Let's pray. Somebody comes and tells me that they've had great success. Let's pray. Let's pray. But you know what I often do? I will pray. I should pray about that, I might say. Instantaneous prayer takes practice. I think if we start to practice instantaneous prayer as a church, then we will develop, you know, what's really important, I think, in all of this message that I've tried to share with you this morning, is that we develop a culture of prayer. We practice it privately, and we try to be instantaneous. We practice it. We practice instantaneous prayer when we are together with a brother or sister. Let us pray when a brother says, I've got a blessing. I got a trip I'm going on. I got a job change. I, I got a worry that I want to express. You see, this is devotion, isn't it? This is what the whole Acts 2.42 has been about, devotion. A constant and instant attending. A constant and instant attending to earnestly draw near, to pay attention to, to approach attentively to God in dependent, hopeful prayer as an act of worship. Prayer is the prescription for us, church, in the fallen world we live in. The one to whom we pray, God, is the medicine. I want to say that again because I want us to grab a hold of that for our whole... Uh, if you get nothing, have this sentence be something that just grabs a hold of you. That prayer is the prescription for the church in the fallen world that we live in, and that the one to whom we pray, God, is the medicine. Let us contemplate the Word of God this morning in silence, and then we will sing and pray once again.
Well, Father God, we thank you for your word that you speak to us. We thank you for your presence as we sing and worship and pray together. We thank you, Lord, for the access that you give us to your throne uh, by your grace through faith in Jesus Christ's death for us. We praise you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit that will intervene for us and intercede for us when we just are so broken we don't know how to pray. Your word says that when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us. We are thankful, Lord, that you hear the prayers of your people. Lord, help us to be diligent and instant and constant in prayer, constantly declaring our dependence upon you and constantly declaring that our only hope, that you are our only hope in this fallen world. We need you, Lord. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.